I'm Naveen Advani. Um, I own the area of enterprise information management at Cisco. Uh, what that essentially means is all of the technology enablement pieces for data at rest and data in motion are essentially under my teams. I've been in the role for about two and a half, coming up on about three years now. Um, and when I took over the role, we did not have something called a data lake. There was uh, this buzzword, you guys, I'm assuming, are from the data space. There was a school new technology tool, buzzword, paradigm around a data lake that everybody was talking about. We had all of the coolest technologies. We had no problems with our legacy. We had no performance issues. We had the best-in-class infrastructure, but we did not have a data lake. And that's where we started thinking about building a data lake. We had a lot of money. Cisco's got money that, that you know, we spend on technology all the time, and why not? Let's go build a data lake. Everybody else was doing so. Actually, that wasn't it. I'm, I'm, I know you guys know that I'm kidding. We had all of the legacy problems and then some, right? We had siloed information. We are a company at Cisco that's actually grown up inorganically. We've acquired a lot of companies and grown over the years, which has essentially resulted in a bunch of silos of data. What that means is we've got multiple data warehouses, we've got multiple SQL Server databases, we've got BI, intelligence, reporting, analytics, or so-called analytics at that point in time happening everywhere. It wasn't contiguous. So before I get into the, the journey, our journey of getting from a lot of data to curated insights and the whole data lake, I'll give you a little bit of context about Cisco itself and set the stage for our journey. So Cisco is the global leader in food distribution. If you guys have eaten at a restaurant while you've been here at reInvent, if you guys flew in on a plane, had a meal on the flight, your kids going to school, the cafeterias uh, that they eat at, health facilities, and yes, even correctional facilities and jails, we supply a lot of food to. So if you eat there, there's a very high likelihood that the ingredients that have gone into your food came through the Cisco supply chain. Again, big, big food distribution company. We do a lot more than just food distribution. We've got about 80% of our business that flows through our broadline business. Our broadline business essentially is a, uh, a business that's focused on a wide variety of customers, and our product catalog is fairly wide. We also have specialized lines of business where we cater to customer segments that are our niche. We also have product lines that are catered to those particular customer segments. For example, our uh, Sigma business supports the fast food chains. Uh, we support about 17,000 fast food restaurants across 32 concepts. 32 concepts, concept is, uh, is like a Subway or a Wendy's. So we are fairly large. We also have a global footprint. We have about 200 distribution centers across 13 countries. Lastly, another fun fact about Cisco is, uh, is that we actually have tractor-trailer trucks, the largest fleet, or almost the largest fleet in the US, uh, about 10,000 of them, and these are all custom-designed with different temperature zones that allows us to deliver in one drop to our customers products that are all the way from fresh to frozen. So that's kind of the, the modus operandi in terms of the logistics that Cisco owns and drives the supply chain with. So that's us. But it wasn't the data lake and the newfangled term that people were trying to get to that drove us on this path. Like I said, we are a food distribution company that is extremely cost conscious. Every dollar, every penny that we spend is 
scrutinized and looked upon, and we've got to derive value from it. So it wasn't building a data lake for data lake's sake. It was, what do we tie that value to? And that was, that's what's up on the slide there is what we tied the value to. This is a three-year plan that we had committed to our shareholders in the street about two and a half, three years ago. And as you can see, there are concrete numbers on there, a $500 million operating income uptick, as well as a 15% return on investment that we had committed to the street. These were ambitious targets for a three-year plan. We had just gone through a merger that wasn't really, uh, didn't really go through. We had committed these new numbers to the street. We had to hit these targets. Extremely ambitious, and as these started cascading down to the various business functions and the leaders within those functions, what we quickly realized is that we had to do something different. What we then identified was what was the enablers for us to be able to hit that plan. Technology, as you can see called out on that slide, was one of those key components. And as you double-click into technology, data and insights was, was the, the next lever for the business to be able to identify how we could ladder up to those goals. So then, based on this plan, we met with a lot of our functional leaders, our business leaders, and our technology leaders to be able to align to what we were going to do to be able to help achieve our three-year plan. So this was the catalyst, this was the driver, this was the motivation for our plan. As we looked at the overall landscape and how we would achieve our goals, what we then did on the technology side was to start looking at opportunities and gaps that existed in our landscape. And I won't drain this slide. There's a lot of content on there. I'll hit upon the key bullets. What we started looking to do was identifying uh, patterns in what we used from the data and what we wanted to get to. As you can see up there, um, lack of analytical capabilities was called out as one of the biggest uh, gaps and opportunities for us. We were a very hindsight-focused organization. What I mean by that is we, did a, we had a lot, a lot of data, and we burst out a lot of reports. Some of the guys up here, they were part of the team and have built some of those applications that sent out all of that data. We send Excel reports, PDFs, what have you, to people's mailboxes with tons and tons of data. But we just didn't know what people were doing with the data or what the outcomes were that we were trying to get to. And that was one of the biggest gaps. It was not just a technology gap, it was also a skill and a, and a culture gap in terms of how data was being used. The second one was, uh, it was kind of a result of the way Cisco's grown over time with acquisitions, with having different silos across lines of business, across different functions, and those inconsistencies in terms of data uh, pervasiveness across one ecosystem, we had all of these silos of reports being built and metrics being built. The challenge in my mind for us as a collective was to figure out how we brought all of that to the center, right? The, the second piece of this, or the third piece of this rather, was our creeping cost of ownership. We had to do something to be able to get off some of our legacy technologies. When I talked about <clears throat> us having the best-in-class infrastructure, best-in-class systems, I was being facetious. We had a whole lot of systems that we needed to go modernize, move to the cloud potentially, look at all of these new technologies. This was about two and a half years ago that we started looking at these, right? So the creeping cost of ownership was associated with the technology that we had, as well as the cost to run and maintain it. It wasn't just that I had to replace this one EDW box, right, with another one in the cloud and it was done. I had to also now think of the business value and the process that brought together all of the data and why I needed to bring the data together. One of the key things that that we struggled with about two and a half years ago was we had silos of reporting. Our 
revenue management teams, our sales teams, our procurement and, and merchandising teams had their own set of data that they extracted from various different sources, built their own reports, built their own quote-unquote insights at that point in time, and then it was up to us. Sales had a metric A that had a particular number, revenue management had something else, and we spent a whole lot of time spinning our wheels on identifying what number was right. And there were, you know, not necessarily, there was not a whole lot of alignment on how we move forward on the right number. So that was part of it. And the last piece of this was as we looked at the, at the plan to go forward and hit the numbers that I talked about in the previous slide, one of the biggest things that we realized was the business was now starting to push us on, hey, we need to look at this thing called data science, big data. What is all of this? And they were starting to, they didn't call it that. They started realizing that there, were, there was value in looking at that because there were people around the periphery of our industry that were already doing some of that. So we weren't able to do it with our current landscape and ecosystem. So that was one of the other bigger challenges that we had to deal with. So that was kind of setting the stage on where we were and what we needed to do from an opportunity perspective. Now this kind of goes back to the three-year plan. When I talked about the three-year plan, I mentioned to you guys that we had a $500 million operating income target in three years that we had to hit and a 15% ROIC. There were key initiatives that were identified at the next level down from a functional perspective that would enable us to cascade up, to ladder up to that goal. And these were some of the areas that we, we identified that were data intensive, that required data insights that would actually benefit from going down the path, double clicking into the data and identifying not just insights and opportunities, but also look at predictive models that would tell us where to invest our dollars, which categories are, are fast moving and we need to probably operationalize in terms of better margins and push to our customers. Right? So these were the three areas. Category management, just to give you a quick overview of the three areas and buckets that we had here. Category management essentially is managing the different categories of products that we stock, the assortment that we stock at our warehouses and at our operating companies, and manage that with suppliers for optimal margins. We have our own brand of Cisco brand products <clears throat> that typically have a higher margin than national brand products, and we try to push those. They're equivalent in terms of uh, taste and value, and, and that's what we try to push to our customers in terms of being able to get better margins. So category management efforts are focused around that. Operational data insights was more around the bottom line and impacting our bottom line. Our cost to serve to customers is impacted by our overall costs in the warehouse as well as transportation for the products. We're a supply chain uh, company at core. So that was a big lever in terms of being able to impact our bottom line and ensure that we have optimized costs that push us forward and make our margins better. That was another area that was identified. We did a whole lot of activity around farming data from our warehouses and then being able to provide insights back to the warehouse on, on reducing cost per case, stocking costs, as well as transportation. And the third area was around sales and margin management. Revenue management was a key. This is one of the key areas where we hadn't had a big impact because a lot of our customer base is uh, a national customer base. So we service customers across the continental US, Hilton Hotels, for example. And our rates and our, our prices are, are negotiated up top during contract negotiations. But there is a big component where we have street customers and pricing uh, based on demographics, based on geography, based on cost that oscillates. We weren't able to do any of that. So price elasticity studies, being able to impact our margins at the enterprise scale, we weren't able to do. And that was the third area that was identified for us to be able to go down the path with and chase value out of. 
<clears throat> As you think about how we enable this and how we kind of got to the end state with our data lake, there was no way in a three-year plan that we'd be able to build a data lake, build our foundation on a new cloud-based ecosystem, and also give the business value in the three years. You guys that, that have lived in the data space, the most complex uh, challenges in moving data are around ETL and data migrations. The initiatives that I've been part of in, in my past life have been a year, two years, to even get to a foundational system where you move from one data warehouse to another. So the, time, the timing of this was of essence. We had to kind of think about opportunities that we could get business looking at insights quickly, and that's where we started using Tableau. So we, what we did is, instead of us starting to work bottom-up, where we did the foundation work and then kind of came to value three years later when it was too late and not, we weren't able to hit our mark, we started working top-down from a value lens perspective. That's where Tableau kind of helped us. So what we did is we put Tableau on top of our legacy platforms. We were able to consolidate some of the information that we had and change, in my mind, the culture for our, our business to be able to digest information on an exception basis. What that means is, instead of looking at row and columns, they were now looking at this, right? So they actually had dashboards and visual dashboards which gave you quick insights on where I need to focus. It wasn't looking at millions and millions of rows and trying to derive insight from it. It was, hey, double click on the red and you'll try to get to a point where you can optimize that particular red, right? So it was a, it was a learning curve for us. This was two and a half, three years ago. This started becoming our catalyst for change across the enterprise. So people started using data strategically rather than just looking at row and columns. A lot of this started at the center with our corporate teams, and this is now starting to catch fire as we've progressed on the journey even through our uh, uh, field and operating companies out in the distribution centers. So as you look at this, this is just an example of the different uh, visualizations that are available. The, the, the point being, we went from a row and column culture to something that I need to focus on on an exception basis, double click into it, and take action on it. So this became more insight and descriptive analytics. <clears throat> All the while while we did this, we still were thinking about what we do with our technology platforms. And when we were thinking about our technology platforms, it was a holistic approach. We couldn't just look at the technology platform and achieve the goals that we had. So what we did is we looked at the three pillars, right? We looked at people, process, and technology to be able to kind of move the needle forward. What that means is I'll talk a little bit about the people and process, and the rest of the slides are focused on the technology piece, but if we hadn't done the people and process piece, I don't think the technology piece would have been as successful as, as where we are today. So on the people side, when I took the role over about two and a half years ago, <clears throat> Our team was heavily outsourced. A lot of our technology resources that were on the team were in our managed services partners organization. There were not a lot of people in my team that understood our data. There were a few key folks that absolutely knew our data inside out, but there were a very few handful folks that knew that. So what we then did is brought them all to the center. There were folks in other teams and other business teams and other functional teams that did pseudo data and reporting. What we did is we started building an organization, pulling them to the center. We built an organization for reporting and analytics. We got these resources, the technology resources that we had, be it all, all of four or five that we had, um, and started building that from the core. Right? That core became our transformation engine. We then augmented that with 
College recruits, we actually augmented that with folks that knew cloud and built that core around them. So we now had a team that knew Cisco data, knew Cisco technology, and knew the new world technology as well. So it became a great combination for us to be able to accelerate our journey. The second piece of it was the process. Show of hands, how many of you guys live in the data space and do waterfall development with reports? All of you do Agile? Oh, wow. Um, I thought we were ahead. Um, all right, so we got, we got someone here. So we were in a, in a world where we did a lot of waterfall development. What I mean by that is we had the business sitting with our guys, with some of these guys right here, with Nick, and Nick wrote a business requirements document, right? And we had this document, and we shook hands and said, hey, this is what I need. And Nick went off, he went home, started writing the code, and two months later, three months later, we had a beautiful report that Nick delivered and was perfect. Does that ever happen, Nick? It never happens. We always oscillate back and forth, right? And, and the problem is the pace of change of business today is huge. I mean, what the business tells us today probably is going to be different than what they want next week. And we've got to be able to accommodate that change, and not just from a business lens, but also from how do we support that from a technology stack perspective. So that was another catalyst. We went all agile. We transformed the data and analytics teams to... Uh, an agile delivery model. We put people through trainings. They've lived it. We had a bumpy ride up front because the business wasn't necessarily bought in initially. But what worked for us really, really well is that we selected friendlies. We selected people that were in it. They wanted to be successful with us. We partnered with them, and those small successes then started breeding success. And when other people saw it, it was like, hey, why? I want some of that too. And that's how we kind of transformed the entire BI team and the whole organization then is now moving towards an agile delivery model. We are in, in, in route to getting to that North Star where all of Cisco essentially works in a more iterative delivery model where the business is plugged in and at the table all the time, working with us and advancing their, their value goals. <clears throat> I'll take a sip of water, you guys. The third pillar, technology. This was kind of the uh, conundrum, right? We had an on-prem device that was, it was around for like 10 years. Even the business knew it. They called it that box. I'm going to get my data and insights from that box. They were tied to it. We had to figure out what we wanted to do. Did we want to kind of upgrade that box by a bigger, meaner, faster box and run our process through that? That entailed a whole lot of CapEx expense. It was a huge price tag to buy another device. I'm sure some of you guys have lived through that as well or start looking at where we want to go based on what the business needs are. What we did is we looked at a whole host of technologies, a whole host of vendors, all the way from an all-in Hadoop stack, right? Can Hadoop do all of this? To a big data appliance and even SaaS models in the cloud. So we kind of traversed the whole uh, gamut on technology. None of them, in my mind, gave us the spectrum of breadth that we needed to be able to achieve all of the business use cases. I'll give you an example. Uh, in Hadoop, right? It's, it's an awesome technology. It's an awesome framework. It's, it's great, but it's great for one use case. You can do a lot of data science, data discovery kind of work, but if you want to do operational reports, structured, dimensional reporting, you've got to add on a bunch of components. You've got to actually build custom code. It didn't solve for the entire spectrum that we had. If you go to the data appliance, it did all of that well, but then you look at the data science use cases and the data volume, it becomes too expensive to maintain it. So there was no one tool, no one technology in my mind, in our minds, from our assessment that solved for all the problems. 
that's how we kind of started looking at other alternatives and other tools. The next slide actually talks about uh, a little bit of our, our spread of use cases, and I'll talk to this slide a little bit here. <clears throat> so as you look at this slide, look at it from left to right. The left bottom is hindsight reporting. That's what we did two and a half years ago. 80, 90% of our reporting and data consumption patterns with that were formatted reporting and parameterized reporting. We burst out. That guy over there wrote a lot of these reports. We burst out hundreds of thousands of these reports every day, every week. And like I said, we didn't really even know if anyone was really using it or there was value or insights being derived from it. As you move to the right on the curve, it is insights, right? It's guided exploration where you have data analysts use tools like Tableau, business objects, to figure out answers to questions that they have. Then we kind of progress up a little bit more to exploratory analysis. We have visual analytics kind of augmenting that. And as you go even further up the curve, you have predictive, prescriptive analytics. And now, as you guys have all heard, SageMaker and all of the AIML stuff that we'll probably be using, we're starting to do that a little bit, but we'll start using it more in production soon. So that's kind of the curve. If you look at that curve, what we, we kind of figured out as we did the assessment for the technology platform was that there was no one tool that was ever going to be able to solve for this. So we had to look at different strategies to be able to achieve this end-to-end. -end. And that's where we started thinking about having data in one place and apply the right tool on top of the data to be able to achieve that use case. And that's where the data lake concept and AWS kind of stepped to the fore a little bit. As I looked at AWS, and this was the, the team uh, as a whole, one of the things we realized was their pace of innovation was tremendous. It was, I still remember this instance when we were doing the assessment. We had like two vendors in, in the final runnings of our assessment. And as we looked at uh, some of the technology gaps that AWS had at that point in time, our assessment was about a three-month time frame, give or take. At the start of the assessment, where we looked and compared the capabilities that we had in AWS with the other vendor, there was a couple of gaps that existed. One month into the assessment, AWS came back and told us, hey, we've already got all of these capabilities. The pace of innovation was that quick. And that's what kind of enamored us a little bit to, the, to, the, to that side of the house. The other piece of this is it gave us the ability to start small, experiment, and then grow. Rather than us having to buy the whole big honking appliance, put a whole lot of CapEx in it, and then realize, hey, this is not what I want. So that was the other piece. And cost-effective. We had cost benefits coming out of even our legacy spend, what we spent on our legacy appliances that we had. If I kind of consolidate all of that spend and looked at a North Star ecosystem that we'd build, that expense on AWS with the extrapolation was a fraction of the cost that we, we actually currently at that point in time paid. So those were the, the choices and, and input to the decision that we made to, dis, uh, to go with AWS. So drum roll, this is what we built. SEED. SEED's an acronym for Cisco's Ecosystem for Enterprise Data. SEED is an AWS cloud-based ecosystem. It scales on demand. It is secure. And one of the big things that it's enabling us to do is not just have data in one place and grow our insights and predictive journey, but it's also giving us an opportunity to reduce costs overall while increasing our capability. One of the other things that I'll call out on this slide <clears throat> is that we called this, we branded this ecosystem seed for very purposefully with a lot of intent. The reason being a lot of technologies change, swap, and, and 
it is a huge change management issue to go back to the business and say that I'm going to introduce this new technology. Now, instead of using Redshift, I'm going to be using Redshift Spectrum. Even though it's transparent to the business, there's a change management component to this involved. One of the things that we learned in our journey, on, journey to get to seed was the fact that components, technologies change. And the pace of innovation at AWS is so fast that we swap out components for cheaper components. New services come in. You have to make that transparent to your business. And that's, that's the exercise that we did. We branded this. Our business knows seed. It is popular. It is actually getting adopted. They don't necessarily know what components we are swapping behind the scenes, and they don't care. So that was another intent behind branding at seed. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this slide, but the idea behind this slide is exactly what I've been talking about in the previous couple, is instead of us looking at an enterprise data warehouse, we were now looking at a data ecosystem. Having data in one place and having the right tools on top of that data to be able to deliver value, right? And tomorrow, today the tools Tableau, the data scientists are using R, tomorrow it could be something else. We can still do all of that uh, with the data landscape that we've built with, with Seed. <clears throat> so this is kind of the box diagram, the 20,000-foot view on what we've built. On the left is some of our source systems. And again, these are not all. We've got thousands and thousands of systems on the left that feed into the data landscape in AWS. Um, we use Informatica for data sourcing primarily. We did not change that, and that was, uh, that was a decision that we made intently because Changing ETLs would have cost us time. Over time, the, the way we've architected this, we could decouple Informatica without impacting the outputs to the business. So we used Informatica because it gave us the, the fastest lead time to get into our data ecosystem. As you can see, we've also put Amazon Glue in there in that box. Amazon Glue has multiple capabilities. It can help catalog your data. It also has ETL capabilities. We are starting to use those and unplug some of the Informatica uh, ETLs that we have, you're also looking at Kafka and Kinesis to be able to potentially do streaming data now. On the right top, you see Amazon S3. S3 is our data lake. We have different buckets of data. We have raw data, process data, and we actually have reportable data. What that means is we, once we process the data, we offload it back into S3 so that downstream batch applications or data science applications can then consume it rather than hitting a transactional uh, redshift box. In addition to all of that, we are also using Lambda's, uh, AWS Lambda significantly. One of the things we've realized is that we are headed towards a lot of real-time analytics. What that means is I can't just run a query and get insights and I'm done. I need to be able to embed my insight real-time within applications. One of our key drivers to our plan, revenue management, um, we've been able to embed data insights with real-time Lambda calls. That guy over there helped us build it. Um, and this essentially is insights from data that we haven't had before, and it's embedded real-time into our, into our field sales folks' organizations. Our uh, marketing associates that are out at a customer can look at this real-time information and make decisions on the fly. Data pipeline uh, is another component that helps us orchestrate all of this. Amazon EMR, uh, this was one of the big things uh, that helped us offload costs and reduce complexity. EMR is a Hadoop implementation. What it does is helps us stand additional compute up for our ETL, ELT loads, which we weren't able to run through Informatica or our on-prem appliance had struggled processing. So EMR is another big key component of it. And on the right-hand side, you see all of the consumption tier tools that we have, including Tableau, business objects, and what have you. 
Those haven't really changed. We're starting to look at other tools as well, QuickSights being one of them as a potential replacement for some guided ad hoc capabilities. All right, so with that, I've got Varun up here on the stage with me. He kind of kindly volunteered because my boss wasn't able to make it up here. Um, I'm going to hand it over to him, and he's going to talk to us about the design patterns that we used and the next level of the how. Over to you, Varun. All right. Thank you, Naveen. You guys hear me okay? So I'm your substitute speaker. These slides are as new to me as they are to you, so hold on to your seats. With that, I think uh, uh, Naveen asked me to talk about a little more on, on the design patterns. Uh, what that specifically means is our organization was uh, like category management business function, revenue management business function, uh, the sales business functions. There's a lot of discussion about what numbers are. And this discussion was around what numbers are, where it needed to be around what numbers meant. So to move across that landscape, we had to go and make changes on our backend data model to be successful. And these are some of those changes or use cases that we are talking through. Uh, first. So the first of all, I wanted to talk about data consumption. After that, we'll talk a little bit about data ingestion. And third, we'll talk about how are we enabling these new capabilities that allow us to be successful with technology for those use cases that we have defined. So let's talk a little more about data consumption. So what was happening in our landscape was we had queries all over the place, big and small. There are queries that need to be in our environment because they are fairly interactive. They are coming out of business objects, Tableau, uh, some directly coming through the SQL to, to the environment. And that's the business use case that we want to solve for. In addition to that, towards the top, you'd see there are a lot of queries that were run on our environment that were more of an extract use case. A user running a query with 5 million, 10 million, 10 million 15 million rows in it. Uh, a system-based query that is run weekly, extracting 15 million rows or 20 million rows, or, or or, or, or highly complicated with 10, 15, 20 SQL joins. Those use cases can be handled better on the ecosystem approach that Naveen pointed out versus uh, what we had with them today was all of them were running on our infrastructure. So what we ended up doing is we took those queries out of our system and executed a different design pattern in, in Amazon to enable that. And we'll talk a little bit in detail about it as we go. There are a lot of ETL queries that are also running on our infrastructure. Uh, we were able to offload some of that to use a design pattern for processing on EMR to make it run. And again, uh, if time permits, we'll, we'll talk through on a data ingestion what that means. So by adjusting the, the framework of the queries, we were able to achieve a better throughput on our user queries. Because we had a better throughput on our user queries, the users were no longer firing extract-based queries and the alignment on what the numbers were was very quickly using Tableau dashboards because nobody was running offline analysis on the data anymore because they could get answers fairly quickly. So that was one. As we move forward, on the consumption side, there's a lot going on on this slide. But this is something that, that, that we hold very dear uh, at Cisco. The reason we hold that very dear is our business is very federated. So we have about 72 distribution centers across continental US. These 72 distribution centers are independent businesses on their own. They, they need to be able to report on their data, not necessarily wait for when everything completes. So the architecture in Amazon within AWS allowed us to achieve that functionality, which meant that we were loading data much sooner for our use cases 
which again meant was that our users were no longer running offload offline extracts and reporting on numbers that did not tie to anything. Everybody was able to come to the platform. So the savings that we had by making sure we had a federated data model to run queries that allows for data loads to complete quicker allowed people to come back on the platform. So that's why this data ingestion piece is fairly important. One more thing I wanted to talk about was uh, on the consumption side, like we visited before. So we offloaded with those queries from running on our environment from an analysis perspective with this Redshift. So what did we do with them? Where do, did those queries go? It, in the old world, the design pattern that we had was these queries were using JDBC, ODBC, and they were getting constrained because of the leader node in terms of how much data can be extracted out of a Redshift-based environment. That constraint is no longer applicable if you come down to the, the S3 layer. So if you can run the queries on Redshift and extract it to S3 and then do downstream analysis on that, that constraint goes away. So that's what we ended up doing. Those extract use cases were very valid. There were extracts generated out of um, users. There are application-based extracts. All of them could run on Redshift, offload it to S3, and then from there, the downstream activities on that can, can take place. So that design pattern really helped. And then all of us have few uh, users that are incorrigible. I mean, I'll use that term because they'll continue to use uh, queries that are a million rows, two million rows, five million rows, seven million rows, and most of these queries are mo very exploratory in nature. They try to use Tableau in similar ways too. There is an opportunity where they can do the same thing within the Amazon framework using Athena. So we started leveraging some of that. The good thing about this is there is a per cost to that query. So people who are abusing the system, for lack of a better, better word, are quickly identified, and then the cost associated with it is, is quickly identified, and that helps you in terms of streamlining your system and environment for the typical use cases that you have. So with that, I think uh, we'll quickly talk about the advanced analytics use cases. So you'll see some of the advanced analytics use cases uh, that we had to execute on as part of our five-year uh, or three-year plan goals. Now, given the environment that we were in, we were very good with our transaction data set. Uh, we used to load transactions and enable reporting on that. But the edge cases around being able to do share of wallet analysis, being able to do recommendation systems, being able to understand why customers are leaving Cisco, these use cases were difficult to achieve because the basic premise on these use cases is these use cases really go after loosely coupled data set. Uh, there are curated data models that you have for uh, the use cases that, that you want to report margins and sales and, and what have you. But in these use cases, you need large, loosely coupled data sets that you want to bring in, mash up, experiment, figure out what works till you get to the end state. So the platform allowed us to start experimenting a little more. And that, in turn, allowed us to do a lot of descriptive and diagnostic-based use cases, which our users started using their tool of choice, which in this case was Tableau. Now, that's a good thing, because you're really driving the usability on the platform. But we suddenly realized that the optimizations that we have done on the back end now need to be done on the Tableau layer as well. So what that meant for us is we started seeing things like slow dashboard rendering. We started seeing memory utilization 
limits on the front end side. We started seeing some of the storage limitations that, that we encountered. We started seeing issues with respect to IOPS because Tableau as an environment is not stateless. It, it, it needs, it's a very chatty application. It needs to communicate very frequently with the backend system to be successful. So the moment we started seeing some of these isolated use cases, we wanted to be ahead of the curve. Uh, we had a very small footprint in 2014. Uh, based on the backend optimization, we started making investments of running Tableau on AWS. So uh, one of the things that you would see here is, is that most of that was driven out of the usage that uh, our business functions like category management, revenue management, as well as operational data insights were executing. And these were all tied to, again, the business function. For example, on the operations data management side, every cent or every penny that we save in our operation cost adds $10 million to our bottom line. With that kind of a savings, there needs to be a mechanism or a method for us to measure it. And that's what Tableau on top of the data model or the data backend that we build really allowed us to do. Similarly, revenue management or category management. There, there's close to 200 to $300 million dollar bogey sitting on each one of those initiatives for us to be successful. And then through tools like Tableau and the descriptive and the diagnostic analysis, we are able to measure uh, and understand the benefit and the compliance of the various initiatives that we have in the field. So with that, uh, I want to switch and talk a little more about what does that mean from a technology platform perspective. Because we were driving so much usage on our, on, on our platform, you'd see we had 2,000 uh, different workbooks at, at a time in production. Um, the usage was expanding. I mean, every year we used to add two to three to 4,000 users to our Tableau environment. Uh, we started looking at AWS to see how we can scale our infrastructure from Tableau in AWS better. So one of the things uh, that we started realizing very quickly was within Tableau, the way licensing works is you're licensed for cores. But when you are on, on, an, on a platform like cloud, two vCPUs equal to a core. So that math quickly means that if you have a 96-core environment that you're licensed with, you can typically deploy 192 vCPUs. What that translates into is that you, your users have a lot of capacity to scale out. We didn't want to stop there, too. What we also wanted to look at was what impacts performance. So the scaled-up infrastructure impacts performance. So if you need performance, you scale up your infrastructure. And if you need a lot more users on your environment, then you scale out. And that's what Amazon provided to us. So we started using uh, R3, 4 extra-large nodes uh, for expansion. And now we are progressing towards the end state where we are going to R4 by 4. That will allow us the performance that we need on the platform, along with the scaled-out infrastructure that will give us uh, the, the capacity or the number of users that we want to uh, kind of bring to the platform. This is an example of uh, the trends that we have seen. Uh, we could have drawn a, a trend line to it. It would have looked much better. But I wanted to put that in a table just to give you guys some perspective. When we started out in 2014, we had a, a small server that we put in the basement. We had about 64 users in it. Within one year, we, we grew that user base to about 1,700. The next year, it jumped up to 4,000. The very next year, it tripled to 12,000. And now we are looking to 
support 20,000 odd users on our environment. To do this effectively, you need to be very close to your data. That's why our platform and our front-end tools are all on Amazon. Plus, you need to be in an environment that allows you to scale up and scale out depending on how and when users are hitting on the system. And that's what we achieve with, with AWS and then and Tableau. We can go to the next one. Now, uh, a little more about the benefits of, of moving to seed. Um, now here, uh, we wanted to take a step back and, and, and talk through why seed. Uh, so one of the things that, that Naveen kind of talked about was, was from a technology strategy perspective, we were looking to achieve three things. Number one, we wanted to be in an environment where we had economy of architecture. What that means is, is that we wanted to have same or better outcomes without the associated cost, which we were able to kind of get to that platform. Second, we wanted to be able to avoid being obsolete. Uh, what that means is we had a 10-year-old appliance in Netiza, uh, and the time when it come for us to upgrade that environment, we realized that it is going to be a big capital overlay. Instead of being in that situation, we wanted a more plug-and-play components-based architecture that we can pick and choose components to upgrade at a particular point in time and be successful. And third, we wanted to be in a situation where we were able to go at two speeds. And that's one of the biggest business asks that we had, is give us the curated data models with penny accuracy that we can go report to the street saying that my category management, my revenue management, my operations data insights and all these other initiatives in the field are bringing in the savings and the investment. And at the same time, give me an environment that allows us to do a lot more experimentation. And that's what we were able to achieve with, with the combination of seed and on the front end on the Tableau side. So with that, I think uh, a little more about uh, roadmap, so where we are headed. So this is more technical, more back-end focus. Uh, so where we are in the journey, what, what Naveen kind of talked about is, is that uh, we have done a lot of work around cloud enablement, but we still have a long way to go when it comes to uh, being able to use tools like uh, uh, continuous integration and continuous delivery tools, being able to use the agile framework, being able to get business participation in that and be fairly successful. So that's one area of uh, effort that we are looking at. We are also looking to see how can we be the environment where all data at Cisco is available for and cataloged for our end users to, to go have a look at. So we know there are services on Amazon called, called Glue that, that allows us to uh, catalog all our S3 assets. We are actively looking to see if we can use that for our use cases. It, one of the advantages of Amazon is, is that you're no longer dependent on a single appliance. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to deploy your appliance in such a way that you take advantage of various use cases. So we are trying to explore uh, Spectrum as a use case because putting all our data in Redshift doesn't really um, give us the cost optimization that we are looking for. A Spectrum-based solution will allow us to build fit-for-purpose analysis architectures as and when we need, so we are looking to explore that as well. And then finally, over six months to one year, 
um, we really want to change our data collection approach. So Naveen kind of pointed out we use a lot of Informatica in our data collection. One of the reasons we didn't want to um, get to it initially is we wanted to activate business value first, focused on uh, getting users to understand what numbers mean versus trying to do offline analysis on what numbers are every time. Once we have done that, we are looking to really enhance our data collection. Uh, there are a lot of different uh, ways we can start collecting data on a more frequent interval. There are a lot of ways we can start consuming data on a more frequent interval, and then we will try to move forward out of batch into more streaming ways of collecting data and look at different business priorities. So with that, I think we can open it up for questions. So one of the overarching yeah. themes that Varun kind of touched upon, and it was, if you go back to the previous slide real quick, sure. that I want to make sure that the kind of audience hears is, it's, it's a continuous improvement journey on the cloud. One of the things that we learned really, really quickly we started off our migration from our on-prem appliance to Redshift. That was the lens that we had. Let's get our on-prem device, move all of this stuff into Redshift, get best benefits from a cost perspective. What we very quickly realized was as we looked at the different components within AWS, there was a ton of value that you could get by using those components for real-time analytics, for using orchestration, for using monitoring, and our ecosystem grew from there. We plugged in components. So what, what it essentially means is you don't have to start with your North Star cost spend appliance up front. You can grow. You start small, start with a focused use case, get benefit out of that, and then grow. That's the advantage of the cloud. That's what this whole three boxes are about. It's a continuous improvement journey. We're not going to stop. It's not just a one-year plan with all these three boxes. It's going to be a continuous improvement process as AWS releases more capability. That's what we'll absorb. And the good news in all of this, in my mind, is a lot of this stuff makes us faster a more capable, bigger capability at a lower cost. As we look at Redshift, I think he alluded to this. Redshift was one component, one database. We started now looking at Redshift Spectrum, which allows us to tear our data into hot, warm, cold, not just have better performance, but have a better cost point in terms of delivery of that capability to the business as well. So the overarching theme in our roadmap is continuous improvement. That's, that's what the cloud enables us to do. So with that, we're open for questions, guys. Yes, sir. Do you want to take that? I can answer sure. it, bro. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so the staging. Repeat, repeat the question. I don't yeah. think they, they have the question. So the question is, is that we have an Informatica data collection going into S3. S3 is an object store. If S3 is an object store, how are you really using from a, it from a data collection perspective? So, so there are two parts of the problem, right? We did a one-time data migration, which means that we moved our on-prem on data assets to cloud one time. So from a data that was snowball. So we use snowball for migration from a one-time one perspective. Post that, we have daily deltas coming in. S3's object store is immutable. What we do is we collect that one-time delta, and then we have EMR jobs running in that interface within the Redshift layer, pull up that information, understand what has been updated, what has been inserted, what has been deleted, do all the transformations and upload the final results back into Redshift. So we use EMR for processing on the S3 data, taking Redshift as well as S3 in, 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 in picture. Yes, sir.
So that's, that's a great question. So one of the things that we weren't able to do in the past with our landscape that we had in the legacy world was absorb third-party data, weather data or third-party data that we'd be able to augment our, our capabilities from a logistics perspective. Seed has provided us that capability. We now can absorb third-party data. The, the, the ability to route those trucks, again, a lot of that when we had storms even in Texas with Harvey, uh, was a manual process to start off with right now, right? Being able to farm the data into our platform to get it to insights hasn't been productionalized completely yet. We are not to our North Star, so this is a progression in terms of our journey. We were able to, though, provide the business that data set mashed up with the transaction, so we were able to tell them, hey, these are our sales orders that are out there. This is the areas that we're delivering it into. The route, rerouting of those trucks or rerouting or reprioritization of those deliveries was done manually. So that, that prescriptive part of it, was it's still not automated. We're still working on that. Great question. The, the challenge that we had, though, initially, was we weren't even able to get that inside because the data was staggered across different devices, right? So we were able to solve for that. Yes, sir? So yeah, that, that's a good good question and, and a little more uh, difficult to answer uh, as well. Um, so now I think uh, so you kind of mentioned spectrum. So I'll talk in, in terms of spectrum, right? So today what we have is is we have data coming out of our source systems in CSV. We take that CSV data, pull that in EMR, mash it up with the data that is sitting in Redshift, and then push the final curated data back to Redshift to build our data mart layer. So that's one way we consume it. Now, within the Spectrum use case, it, within Spectrum, you can store data in S3, uh, and you can specify the format. So we have not matured to that level where we are ready to consume Spectrum for different use cases. We will decide on the format as we go. We do use another format on S3 today. We call it Parquet. Uh, that enables us to uh, fire Athena queries on that format fairly quickly, so we use Athena and, and, and the data sitting in the Parquet format to do those queries. But so that, Spectrum, I think, we're still working. So that's actually the goal. The longer-term goal for data scientists probably would be use the Athena interface to go farm those out, rather than hitting our, trans, not transactional, but our enterprise data warehouse in Redshift, and slowing down performance for our operational reports. So that would be the goal longer-term. Yeah. But I'll say one more thing. I mean, that introduces another challenge, right? So based on the business case that we have, we have our data set that gets updated very frequently. So we have 10%, 20% updates on the data. S3 is an immutable store. So it's really challenging to store the data in a Parquet format, identify the right partition to go update the entire partition because you can't update a record in S3. So that, that, those are the things that we are thinking through that we'll have to do the processing within EMR to be successful. Yes, sir. Yes. There are a lot of people smiling in the front row here. So, I mean, long story short, we don't have all the answers. But I think 20,000 is where our growth projections are, right? So you, when you see 20,000 users, you've seen 20,000 users on Tableau as an application. 
And these are named users. These aren't concurrency on, on Redshift yet. So we absolutely do. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I, see, and I think that's where the spectrum use case will become very, very useful. Because based on that, we can have fit-for-purpose architectures that will be for that specific use case. And if you really look at it from a warehousing perspective, uh, pe uh, people always generally look at it in terms of concurrency. It's not concurrency, right? Can I fire 50 queries at once? Can I only fire 50 queries at, at once? An MPP system is about throughput. How many queries can I get out of that system per second? Right? And that way, even if there is some theoretical constraint of 50, 75, we can always architect around that constraint and be successful. So as long as you have the right lens to look at it from a throughput perspective of what, the th what is the throughput that I need and how can I achieve the throughput and not get caught up in Redshift only does 50 concurrent or 500 concurrent or what have you, uh, I think uh, from a use case perspective, you, you'll see uh, being more successful. And one of the other benefits in my mind, I think the 20,000 number is not necessarily all hitting Redshift all at once. The big thing that we've done, and I think this is the key takeaway from, in my mind from the presentation is, we didn't move everything to Redshift, and Redshift isn't our bottleneck. It, it would have been, we had this on-prem device, we took that on-prem device and moved everything to Redshift, and now we have another bottleneck. What we've done is actually looked at design patterns and persona-based delivery of data, so we don't have Redshift being the bottleneck for everything. We've got components that are served up through uh, our studio, with, it hooks up with S3 directly, there's Tableau extracts that happen, so there's, it's a persona-driven ecosystem where not all of those users are hitting Redshift all at once, right? So it's, it's kind of componentized. Even the real-time analytics that we do is, is through DynamoDB and uh, Lambda uh, architecture, right? So it's, it's different use cases. In the past, all of these hit that one bottleneck in our appliance, right? So we've kind of staggered that out. You get one question. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, so, so with that, you know, there is a need for segregated analytics and segregated, I mean, the, there is a need for integrated analytics where you want to merge, and there are some set of users who want to look at cross department analytics, but there's still a need to you know, secure your uh, you know, data by department where you don't want to expose everything to everyone. Yep. He's chomping at the bits to answer, so I'm going to let him go first. But yes, the answer to your question is yes, we do both of those. I thought you were going to take it, but okay. Uh, so yes, and I think uh, there is a need for us to protect that information for a specific use case, but there is also a need for us to experiment, right? Data lake suddenly doesn't mean that all my users are on the data lake, right? Again, it's a fit-for-purpose technology. So we have specific use cases uh, with specific skill set who can really achieve a lot of outcome. Out of that, if I take a data analyst who is only comfortable with SQL and give him a notebook environment with EMR and S3 and then ask him to go do some things with it, he or she may not be successful with that approach. Exactly. So right. we try to understand what the specific use case is and what is the right fit for purpose technology for that use case. Just having a data lake doesn't mean we are going to open it up for the enterprise for everybody to go take a look at that. So the, the only other thing that I'd add on to what Varun said there is. Uh, your question about Redshift and how our strategy has actually evolved. We started off with DS1s. 
right? We've actually moved to a different mixed landscape where we've got DC2s now. We were DC1s about a month and a half ago. We are kind of the lead adopters for DC2. We got onto DC2s, what, two weeks ago? And I think this is, this is another key success story that you guys need to hear. Moving from our on-prem appliance to the new on-prem appliance was about a year's journey. We had to kind of move everything, lift it, and move it. We just moved from the, the infrastructure that we had six months ago to net new infrastructure, new boxes in, in a weekend, in two days. That's the power of AWS. That's the power of the cloud. So we are now moving into a strategy where we've got different Redshift clusters fit for purpose that we'll potentially enable different business units with. So yes, so it's, it's a hybrid landscape. The beauty of this whole solution, guys, is that I can turn on and off things when I need them, rather than having to invest, go buy big honking devices, and, and be stuck with it for years. Right? So that's the beauty of the solution. If you're not taking advantage of that, then you're kind of missing the, the point. There was a question back there. Yes? And, and that, that's a great point. So one of the things that we have always struggled on premise was how do I get my data to test whether all the data is migrated? Am I able to uh, kind of meet the business need? Am I missing any data or not? So within cloud, the advantage that we have is, is that uh, there are two pieces of it. One is one-time migration, and then there is deltas. For one-time migration, I only need to bring data once, and then I can push it to different environments. So some of that process is simplified. So that's on the process side. On the validation side itself, we were migrating off an on-prem appliance. So our philosophy going in was either we explain or we correct. So either the numbers foot completely end-to-end -end between the two environments. If they don't, there is a very good explanation for it. What should be that explanation around it? If there is no explanation, one of these two systems need, need, needs a correction, and we go implement it. And we have found use cases where some of our ETLs were not optimized or not pulling the right information, and we did not know for quite some years till we started comparing them together. And that's where the, the, the business partnership really comes in, because that's the time where you sit with the business users and say, this is how the data is being transformed. This is the ETL logic that is written in. We think this is how it should be done, what is your view, and those edge cases you can always resolve and then keep going from that. But All right, that with that, we've got, about, I'm sorry, we've got about 30 seconds. We'll be available after this. There's a whole host of folks that have actually really built this system in the front here. Feel free to interact with them, and Varun and I'll be around, and Wesley's actually around as well. He might not be able to talk, but he does sign language too. Um, feel free to walk up and ask us. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you.